This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions' three-part miniseries, Devout and Out. The show follows three LGBTQ individuals who have chosen to become or remain leaders in their respective churches. I've watched through this series twice, and it is easily one of the best series I've seen all year. It's smart, thought-provoking, conversation-launching, funny, heartwarming, and is going to show you a side of Canada you have never seen before. You can watch Devout and Out in Canada on the CBC Gem app or elsewhere in the world on YouTube. Enjoy. After all, there is nothing real outside our perception of reality, is there? If you wish to avoid prosecution, I would advise that you comply with our language laws. This is the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. Hey there, and welcome to the RCMP. That's the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast. I am your co-host today, Becky Shrimpton, and with me, once again, thanks to the wonder of the internet, is Mr. Cameron Maitland. Hey, dude, how you doing? Hey, Becky, I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. I'm going to take a breath now. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay. I've got this so down now, man. It just like slides. Mm. It's beautiful. Uh, like your good friend who's got it so down now, uh, Trevor Christie, friend of the show, who did our Resident sure. Evil episode, who is now at the CFC. Good on you, Trevor. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully we'll be hearing more from him soon, seeing more. I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know. He writes. Yeah, I don't know. Great. He writes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so hopefully you'll never really know, but maybe he'll make some money. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we're hoping for. Well, there's so many people writing for American-Canadian co-pros here. Hopefully he'll find a home for himself. I've got somebody else uh, on the show today who is a writer who is working on a Canadian-American co-pro. He's worked on a bunch of other stuff. His name is Derek Robertson. Uh, the stuff you would know that he's written on uh, is NBC Universal Bell Media's original series Killjoys. Uh, the fifth season has already premiered, but you can catch it right now. It's really weird. Uh, he's also worked with Paul Feig uh, with the dark comedy thriller A Simple Favor, the freeform series The Bold Type, which is one of my personal guilty pleasures, uh, the Reels miniseries The Kennedys After Camelot, and the HBO miniseries Lewis and Clark. So he's hitting up all your prestige stuff. Derek, how was that? <laughs> that was daunting. I don't think I can live up to that intro. So, <laughs> so, so thanks for having me and goodbye. <laughs> well, it's a right. pleasure. No, 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 stay. Because you also right. picked a fantastic movie that we have all found out that no one has heard of, even though it came out last year. Yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. I don't know how this movie slipped through the void. What movie did you pick? Uh, so the movie is called The Hummingbird Project. And it's Kim Nguyen, who is a Montreal Vietnamese director, who is previously Academy Award nominated for a film that's simultaneously called Rebel and War Witch. Uh, he also did uh, Two Lovers and a Bear recently, which did really well. And another movie, which I'm going to be talking about later, which is also bananas, called Eye on Juliet. How familiar were you with Kim Nguyen's work before this? I mean, I think the, the industry side of me is supposed to lie here and say really familiar, but um, not a ton, not a ton. I hadn't seen much of his stuff before I, I saw this movie. Did you see this at TIFF? I did. I saw it at the, uh, the World Premiere. Oh. Not to not to brag, not to brag about a movie no one no one's talking about. Did you get it? Got a really good uh, reception at TIFF, is what it sounds like. I I loved it when I saw it. I I and that's what like surprised me that like when it came out, I thought you know this is a movie that, like it's going to get major distribution, major marketing, um, and 
I mean, I guess that's why I'm a writer and not running a studio. Um, <laughs> but, but I actually, I really love it. And then, you know, a year went by and no one in my circle really knew anything about it. And so I was curious uh, in doing this podcast, whether like it was the whole, you know, premiere thing where I was blinded by the red carpet and the fancy theater and, and the, you know, the Hollywood who's who Q and A and stuff. And, or, or if I genuinely liked it and um, not to spoil the rest of the podcast, but I, I personally really liked it. <laughs> How about you, Cam? What's been your reaction? Oh, yeah. no, I liked it too. And, and I think, I mean, at the very least, I think any issues with it aren't enough for it to like not get a full distribution, you know, like just the, the caliber of the actors involved and the fact that it's like, it, it's an effective story. So I find it pretty baffling how, uh, how little I'd heard of it. And the weird thing is, is like, I even remember the name and like the lead up to it, partially because uh, I'm sure we'll go get into it, but Alexander Skarsgård has a weird bald head in it, <laughs> and uh, and I remember that being like a big deal because he like would show up to red carpets and stuff with this weird hair, and uh, they'd say like, oh, it's for the Project Hummingbird, and it's like, uh, yeah, so. Yeah, very baffling to me because it's, yeah, it's a solid movie. I don't know. Derek, what is this movie about? Ooh, that's a that's a big question. That's, um, <laughs> I, I mean, the crazy thing is that this is basically, it's a movie about two cousins trying to run a thin line of fiber cable from Kansas to New Jersey in a straight line. Sometimes sometimes I see a movie and, and I'm envious of the writer who got to like go in and pitch it uh, because it's such a brilliant high concept and it just seems like a slam dunk. But uh I don't know. I would like. I'm almost having flop sweat just thinking about trying to pitch that <laughs> <laughs> right now. But but uh, but there, there's a brilliant hook to it, which is that running this uh, this completely straight cable across this huge chunk of the United States is. I don't know, basically like a Don Quixote level insanity. You you have to buy out thousands of property owners. Uh, you have to go through swamps and rivers and protected forests and mountains and if you do all of this, uh, you beat the you get the stock results one millisecond ahead of the rest of Wall Street, allowing you to essentially steal millions upon millions of dollars from your competitors. You just explained in like two minutes what it took a movie two and a half hours to do. <laughs> <laughs> but to be fair, this is a very complex thing. And one of the IMDb, uh, like, you should know this is, this is perfectly factually accurate. Like, this is exactly how this technology would work. There's no Hollywood glitter. There's nothing. It's just, yeah, this is a thing people do. And it's why it's set in 2011, which I didn't even really realize. I was like, okay, you're showing me the times and the days. No, no, it's set in the past. So, yeah. <laughs> because, because this technology already exists and has been surpassed so these are things i didn't know and i don't know spoiler alert we all are endorsing this film go watch it yeah yeah, yeah. if you haven't yeah, seen yes, it it's rentable yeah. yeah yeah totally uh the spoiler alert is they they fail in their task to like horrific horrific uh sadness all around but they win their hearts and they win their souls back so that's that's good but i feel i feel like this movie is especially weird because it's a race movie, but everyone describes it as a business thriller. And I think mm. it's a race movie. What do you guys think? I, yeah, I would agree, too. I, I saw somewhere that was described as like a thriller, and that really threw me because that's not how I would describe it at all. I mean, it is, it's, almost a, it's almost a road movie meets like 
Wall Street meets, I don't know, a construction project. Yeah. There's a, a con man element almost, too, because you know that, that they're kind of lying. Like, it's something that is potentially true, but it's rarely actually true as it's happening. I don't know. It, it's weird. I agree that the thriller element... Cause about partway through, it does briefly sort of become thrillery, but that's not the vibe of the whole movie. Yeah, I think it's one of those movies that's very strange to market because when you watch the trailer, and I always watch the trailer on movies like this, I'm like, okay, how did a higher up be like, this is what everybody wants? And what's what's most key is that they just keep talking about the big amounts of money. They're like, we're going to make $500 million, you know? That's what keeps coming up, and you're like, that's not what this movie is about. So I feel like this, like Jarhead, may have been hideously mismarketed to the wrong people. Yeah, I think so. And, and I, one of the other strange things that maybe threw off the marketing people is like, I don't know, one of, I guess one of the nerdier things about me is I love after going to see like a uh, uh, a movie based on real history. I always love looking up the, the true story of it. Um, so after I saw this movie, I was excited to like go home and like find out the because I was like, well, this is definitely set in what 2011, 2012. Um, Alexander Skarsgård is bald, so I assume <laughs> this is a real movie. Uh, it just felt like like a true story, and then I went and looked it up, and it wasn't, and that yeah. really threw me. Now, you talked about uh, Kim Nguyen and his pitchableness of this film. This man must be magic. Because do you know what the movie was that he did just before this? No, I've never yeah. heard of that one. Eye on Juliet. It's fascinating. I watched the trailer for today, and now I want to watch it. Because it's about a American like security officer who's stationed at a, on an oil pipeline in Morocco. And he has one of those like droid robot camera things. And he sees this young woman who... like keeps coming out to meet her lover and he falls in love with her and he uses like the droidy thing to kind of help get her out of an arranged marriage but it's a thriller but she's interacting with the droid not him he's behind the behind the camera the whole time and you're like how did you pitch this half the language is is moroccan half of it's in english there's some french it's like (laughs) you walked into a room and people were like yes have money (laughs) it's yeah and but it sounds i mean I, I want to see that movie. It looks <laughs> awesome. <laughs> I really want to watch it. I know. So like this concept of, of like, yeah, pitching the high concept and that I don't mm. I don't know how well that movie did. But then they did this and then got these A-list actors. I mean, we talked a little bit about Alexander Skarsgård, but Jesse Eisenberg, Salma Hayek. Uh, these are not small potatoes actors. Michael Mando, too. He's huge. And Michael Mando is great. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Michael Mando gets some, I mean, uh, he gets some fun scenes in this. Yeah, I think that that's the secret. I actually think that that this movie is pretty brilliant in how it weaves in what is obviously CanCon requirements. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, <laughs> because it goes out of its way to hire a bunch of like recognizable American TV character actors who you don't realize are Canadian. <laughs> like when you go through the cast, they're almost all Canadian. But I never would have known because I just know like, oh, yeah, that's the lady from Barry and like Michael Mando. And yeah, there's just a bunch of like recognizable actors who when you look them up, they're Canadian. (laughs) (laughs) And they all just want to work with Kim Nguyen. And here's why I think they do. One, he gets to make movies like this and they're absolute bananas. Uh, Two, his collaboration process with actors is basically just, so what do you want to do? And then they do it. So let's get into bald Alexander (laughs) Skarsgård. Now, 
would that character have been different had he looked like six foot four Greek god, Nordic god, Alexander Skarsgård, or did he need to look like the like the moping character of what you would think a high intelligence programmer would look like that he does? I mean, I don't want to offend programmers, but. <laughs> Uh, it, 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 I mean, the look definitely sells the character to me. It does. And, and, but that would have never been my first thought. If I was making this movie, I would never be like, we need him to, you know, go bald. Yep. That would never have crossed my mind. So he pitched that himself to Kim mm. Nguyen and was like, I want him to look like this. I think this is it. And Kim Nguyen was totally on board. It was like, yes, yes, let's do it. And the financiers were like, no, 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 no. <laughs> and so uh, Kim Nguyen, being like the excellent director he was, came back and was like, okay, well, how about we don't go like full bald? How about like, you know, we just give you a receding hairline? And uh, Alexander Skarsgård went right ahead into the uh, hair and makeup trailer and went, so this is what we're doing and just went ahead and did it. And so... So wow. that's what they ended up with as the final look. Um, I I was sitting at the premiere. I ended up sitting next to uh, a woman who was a huge fan of his, who had come from like a small town in America to see him. And I guess uh, at that point I had no idea that he was going to be bald in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and when he first came on the screen, like, like I could just hear it. Like it was the loudest gasp I think I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, uh, and then I have to talk uh, about Salma Hayek's like blonde or like white dipped hair, which was also her decision. She wanted that because she's like she is a woman who is so far ahead of everyone else. She's actually rushing to like age. And that's why she has the white hair. Uh, yeah. I know. So like I said, he has these conversations with these actors and it really seems like this collaborative process. And I actually think it works for the better because everybody in this movie is having a really good time and it adds to the pace and it adds to the drama. And it, even though it's very long and very technical, it adds a lot of fun because you can feel them playing. It does, Yeah, it feels so much fun. And it also feels like, I mean, to me, it felt like almost like none of these characters were written to be in the same movie together and in a way that makes them more real like the way they're bouncing i don't know there's something like michael man mando is in a totally different movie than than you know uh selma hayek and how's that can you can you break that down a bit yeah ju just in like the the like i mean michael mando is such a straight man and he feels like he's just you know i'm what movie i i don't know like he could have been in um for me, it feels like he's David Fincher and Selma Hayek is in Scorsese. Yeah, those. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That's a. I mean, yeah. He's he's definitely like you were saying, uh, where it's not a thriller. He's definitely like the biggest indicator. It's not a thriller because he is just a guy doing a construction job, start to finish. <laughs> Who rushes yeah, you to the hospital and takes the chainsaw out of your hands? Yeah, yeah. And then also is like <laughs> towards the end, it's like, is he? Are they in love with each other? I don't even know. There's kind of a a vibe between them. It felt. I mean, it felt like you could. If I didn't know who he was, it felt like they had just pulled a guy off the crew who was working. Yeah. You know, to to managing the equipment on the set. And um, but but at the same time, he's so great. Like like he yeah. he doesn't have nearly as big characters as anyone else, but he still like steals scenes along with everybody else. Sure, kind of the emotional heart of it. <laughs> it's true. This episode of the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast is brought to you by Archipelago Productions. 
For over 15 years, the team at Archipelago have been making groundbreaking and award-winning films, television, and corporate video. For brands like Google, Netflix, Etsy, Time Magazine, and the University of Toronto. Visit archipelagoproductions.ca to find out how they can help you elevate and execute your next video project. But isn't, okay, isn't Anton sort of the emotional heart? Now, this is the only part I think the film really lost me in, is that this is obviously supposed to be a message movie in a way of being like, you know, money is invisible, none of it matters, and that it's the little people that are constantly being stomped on. It's an immigrant story in that, like, these are two Russian-Jewish immigrant descendants who are trying to beat the system and end up getting chewed up and spat out and taking a bunch of people down with them. Um, And... You're you're seeing all this kind of stuff happening, but it's still a really fun movie, and so it sort of feels like the heart aspect of it and the message that comes in the end is just a hair tacked on. Like, it's just not as fluid as it could be, and I almost mm. felt... Like, I love the fact that they lose. I think that's awesome, because I was like, oh, they don't lose, do they? Like, it's not that kind of movie, and they do, and they take everybody down. But you get to the end, and you're like, oh, I felt like this could have been... It could have been bigger. They could have failed bigger or something Something else could have happened that, like, really drove the point home that wasn't quite as as tacked on. Did you guys, did you guys feel the same way? I don't know. I, um, I do see on IMDb a lot of the people mad about the movie that give it a bad rating don't like the failure at the end. Oh, I think that they wanted it to be – they kind of say that it doesn't – like, it doesn't do anything, you know? It, it, it is all about this thing and then nothing happens at the end. Um, so I guess that maybe that connection that you're talking about isn't there with some of the people, uh, who watched the movie. I don't know. Uh, to me, I would, I would disagree with the MDB people. I, I felt like to me it was, it was kind of what landed the whole movie for me, you know, but one thing, and I, I might be misremembering this, but, um, I think that the, the backstory in the beginning of the movie about Jesse Eisenberg's character was added after a test screening because people were saying that they didn't understand like who this character was or why he wants more money. If he works on wall street, he probably has a decent amount of money. The movie, when you say that felt maybe a little tacked on, I think that the movie was kind of trying to flesh out the characters as, as they were developing it right through production. It sounds like. Oh, wow. Interesting. Cause some of my favorites, favorite moments in this is stuff that feels weirdly organic i'm someone who like really loves loves subtle exposition and so in that moment when they're all in their like big family's house and jesse eisenberg is explaining the the plumbing problem to his uncle and you're like oh this is where you come from these are your roots that was something i really loved in the writing i thought was beautiful and subtle that i didn't need a big speech because then it turned into like jesse eisenberg's therapy right (laughs) (laughs) and i've just been watching this like amazing tight little thriller as they're like going through the middle of the woods trying to tunnel under this giant river in through a mountain and now it's like oh no we're stopping the whole movie to learn about the russian immigrant experience so so i get that a little bit but it was just a bit like oh i wish that had been front loaded so i had that and then it just Mm. like once the match is lit you just go Mm -hmm. yeah yeah yeah. it it felt like it definitely felt like you had missed the introductions a little bit of who these people are it was like i also might be an outlier where i (laughs) i this this makes me sound very dull but i feel like i even preferred the procedural tunnel digging to uh any of the character moments as much as i i do think that that the director's real skill and what makes this movie so unique is the character moments but something about just yeah just the the procedure of it and the fact that there's a a twist 
not really a spoiler that they have to deal with the Amish at one point. It's like, <laughs> oh yeah, like that actually was what like perks me up. Like, oh yeah, this is a great twist. Yeah, that that I think my favorite part of the movie is that little like Amish yeah. three scene kind of mini movie of, of yeah. you know, it's like the, it's such a great beginning middle end just so that I would have watched a short film just about dealing with them. <laughs> totally well they were so and this is the other thing too is that you were dealing with people um like everyone they talk to i mean you have the one racist guy at the very beginning and then you have those guys but everyone has a good articulate reason of like well why would you want to do this on my land no you can't like no one is stupid in this Mm -hmm. and i like that yeah it's not like we're high-powered people talking to like the little people and we're conning them over it's like no everything was harder than that like all the stakes felt real yeah yeah one one um spe- like just talking about the the procedural element of it one thing that uh i i think i heard um was that when kim was developing the movie he actually didn't consult with anyone he he i mean he just did a lot of research himself and mm. he would stare at like maps and look up equipment and permits and figure out how- he basically figured out how to run this cable himself <laughs> And I don't know if that was a budget thing or a time thing or just how he wanted to do it. But, um, yeah, and then it wasn't until they got into production that they brought in experts. So so I, I think that's incredible to me that he did the movie. Oh, that's true. Yeah. That's what he did. And also ended up going over $7 million in, in the budget. Um, oh, really? Because <laughs> what, they, what you see in the movie is actually what they were doing, bringing those giant pieces of equipment into the middle of the woods so that they could get wow. the shot, having the cell tower, all of that. And his financiers were like, uh, dude, you know we're not actually laying the cable, right? You just need to get the shot. So <laughs> he, he even uh, referred to his own quest as quixotic. And I was like, I love you. <laughs> Oh, yeah. <laughs> his uh, his assistant directors must have loved him. Oh, no question. Yeah. Rain it in. Rain it in. Get him. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, yeah. And I think the other thing I really love about this is that it's it is spoilable. You know, like you you do get emotionally invested with these people, and they're not great people, but they're human mm-hmm. enough that you care about them. And I think, especially with like business thrillers, I always find that as like the hard line to ride. Of like, okay, they're doing despicable things everything's in the name of greed but how do i connect with them and i think this does a really good job of finding that human element yeah and also taking like taking the business thriller out of just an office right like <sighs> like talking about it being you know uh, a road movie like it's 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 telling all it's basically hitting all the same beats that you would hit in you know wall street or the big short or you know that kind of what greed and obsession with money and everything does to you but it tells it in such a more tangible and visually interesting way that it's incredible that that you know that this story hasn't been told before and again incredible no one's watching it i mean yeah. They should be. Now, Derek, I have a question for you. How do you translate pace into text? In terms of, of how quickly to deliver a, a line? or uh, More in terms of like how if a movie's going to go really quick, like something like this, or like Jesse Eisenberg has like a million lines a minute and like everything's got to go fast, fast, fast. How do you translate into that, that into the script so that people will know the pace of the film? Uh, basically, I mean, from a writer's point of view, it's a endless battle with the script supervisor because they always tell you that it's it's slower than you think it is, and you always tell them that it's faster. And usually, you're both wrong, and it's somewhere in the middle. Uh, <laughs> so, and I think in this movie, this script was around like 130, 140 pages, something like that. And I know that the director said that he wanted it to play like it was 110 pages. 
I mean, he hired the right guy in Jesse Eisenberg, basically. I think that's that's really the key is who you hire, what actors you hire. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to get uh, you want to get your fast talking, you know, your Russell Brand. You know, if you write eight pages for Russell Brand, it's going to be what a page for everybody else. Right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and I think I think that I mean, most writers love dialogue, right? And you're always like, well, like like yeah, this is a long script. But uh, it'll be set fast. Like, trust me. And usually you can't get away with it. (laughs) (laughs) Now, did this movie inspire you guys to get any more interested in how the financial system worked? Uh, I don't know. (laughs) No, maybe it inspired me to watch more movies about it. (laughs) Yeah, or or, uh, inspired me to get into construction i don't know yeah i don't know like i'm giving up my job i'm gonna be a digger mom (laughs) i will say that immediately after i did watch i finally finished the season of succession which i was kind of slowly going through on the hbo show because it was also i'm like you know what i'm already watching business things (laughs) i i I think I love Succession. I don't oh know. yeah, it took me a while to figure it out. It's a very interesting tone as well, but yeah, I'm really into it now. Yeah, especially the last couple episodes, just like just mm. nailed the land. Totally. This is all getting edited out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sure there's a Canadian on there somewhere. If you deep <laughs> I haven't checked the background of everyone. <laughs> all right, guys, we're at favorite moments. <laughs> uh, I I feel like I I struggled with my favorite moment on this one simply because I do uh, like a lot of the moments are so small. I I almost barely remember them just having watched it yesterday. I I think my favorite thing about this movie is just the, the preposterousness of its existence. You know, like uh I just love a movie that's about something so specific. So that's kind of stuff. And, and I really did enjoy the ending actually. Uh I that's another thing that seems very contentious, but uh I found it like moving and and nice. I think some of the character stuff in the middle I didn't quite get as much but i really thought that it connected in those those final scenes how about for you derek what's your favorite moment oh i mean we already talked about it but i think the 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 amish scenes that first trying to sell them on using the land and then kind of sort of swindling them through through legal loopholes to use their land and and then coming back and atoning for what they did i I like that to me i really love but if I'm not going to repeat what we already said. I will say that uh, the Michael Mando uh, positive shift story when they're just driving through Pennsylvania, I think, uh, where he talks about doing a job on a uh, rich community's sewer system. I love just because it does nothing for the story. And I'm just jealous that they were able to keep that in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And the movie is already two hours. (laughs) It's just like um, something, it it adds to that realism of of, of the world and the characters. Um, But nine times out of 10, like that would be cut early in an early draft. Sure. Uh, I think for me, it's any time Salma Hayek shows up because she just becomes this boogeyman. (laughs) You know, she's showing up in your bathtub. She's swooping in on a helicopter just to give you the finger. She's sticking the FBI on you. I'm like, I'm in love with this woman and this character because she's just so relentlessly vicious, but also vulnerable at the same time because when she gets hit, she gets hit hard. And like, she's just playing this full gamut of emotions. So she's, yeah, she's a boogeyman with heart. It's very strange. 
strange. Um, also, every press junket should have her on it because she is a freaking delight and just makes everything better. Uh, she also, on this press junket, learned what the word dud meant. She did not know that before. Oh, okay. <laughs> Jesse Eisenberg taught her what the word dud meant. And she was like, oh, oh, okay, that's a great word. I'll use that. <laughs> yeah, everything makes everything's better with Selma Hayek. Awesome. I think that's just about everything. Derek, what do you have to plug? Um, well, I mean, season five of Killjoys is uh, airing um, right now. And um, so it's our fifth and final season. So um, it's kind of exciting to to kind of wrap up the whole story. And if you haven't seen the other ones, uh, they're all, if you're in Canada, on Crave. So you could binge it. Um, Fall in love with it and then watch the fifth season. <laughs> and then demand Perfect. more on another network. <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> How can people follow you on uh, on the Twitters, the socials, all the fun stuff? I am on Twitter at Robertson Derek. And then I don't know if for some reason you want to look at my Instagram. Uh, I'm at Derek Robertson. So I'm back and Whoa. forth. <laughs> sure. Mixing it up. Is it pictures it's... of tacos and other people's pets? Because if so, I'm in. <laughs> there is nothing anyone would be interested in on it. <laughs> so maybe stick to the Twitter. Maybe stick to the yeah. Twitter. Okay. Because, you know, you are a writer. That is your medium. Right. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Cam, how about you, Bebe? Uh, I am uh, at CamFess on Twitter all the time. Uh, there's a big deluge of stuff coming uh, from Hollywood Suite uh, coming up. So. Just uh, check out hollywoodsuite.ca and our YouTube channel. And uh, I guess, I don't know if I've said it here before, but you can now subscribe to us on Amazon Prime uh, if you're in Canada. We're one of the channels, the quote-unquote Prime channels. Uh, so, yes, I'm getting uploaded into the uh, evil mothership now. <laughs> <laughs> That's exciting. Does that mean you don't have to pay taxes anymore? Uh, no, unfortunately. <laughs> I made the mistake of paying taxes once, and now they know where I live. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right. And as per usual, you can find me on the Twitters, at Shrimpton. That's the masculine Le Shrimpton over there. Uh, if you want to come talk to us about the podcast, we've got a great community going over there. That's at RCM pod come say hello we would love to talk to you I think that's just about everything gentlemen shall we go get a moose head <laughs> sure sounds good thanks for listening to the Royal Canadian Movie Podcast if you like what we're doing please remember to rate us and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcatcher it helps people find our podcast and Canadian media they love come chat with us at RCM pod on Facebook or on Twitter at RCM pod our theme song is by Craig Stewart, and our show art is by Paul Stachniak. Join us next week for another great film from the wilds of Canadian cinema.